Confounder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Kija, in Antikoti Vaishnav Vinda Kija, Namacharya Shila Haridas Takur Kija, Prem Shiko Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dwayti Gadad Harshivasa Di Gaur Bhakta Vinda Kija, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Gopadana Kija, Vrindavan Dhamma Kija, Matur Dhamma Kija, Navadri Mayapur Dhamma Kija, Puri Dhamma Kija, Ganga Mai Jamuna Devi Kija, Bhakti Devi Kija, Tulsi Maharani Kija, Samaveta Bhakta Vinda Kija, Gaur Prem. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Shiva Prabhupada and Mahal Vishnu Krishna Prasaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane, Namaste Saraswati Deve, Goravani Pachani Nirvasesa Sanyavani Maskajade Satani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yutal Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavasha. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Ravita Shri Vishakam Vitam Sham Anchakapachivascha Kipasam Vyavatam Tichinam Pavanevya Vaishnavya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya of April 2019 in Denver, Colorado, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 26, Fundamental Principles of Material Nature, text, text 32. And again, I have a handout for this class. If you go to ormiladevidasi.org, go to seminars, go to handouts. It's called Sound Participants. So that's ormiladevidasi.org. If you go to seminars, Handouts, sound participants. You will find material for this class. Tamasakcha virkuravanad. Tamasakcha virkuravanad. Bhagavad virya choditat. Bhagavad virya choditat. Shabda matrama bhutasman. Shabda matrama bhutasman. Navastrotram suktu sabdagam. Navastrotram suktu Tamasat. From egoism and ignorance. Cha. And. Vikurvanat. Undergoing transformation. Bhagavad Virya. By the energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Choditat. Impelled. Shabdamatram. The subtle element sound. Adbut was manifested. Tasmat, from that. Nabaha, ether. Strotram, the sense of hearing. Two, then. Shabdagam, which catches sound. Translation. When egoism and ignorance is agitated by the sex energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the subtle element sound is manifested. And from sound come the ethereal sky and the sense of hearing. So I'm going to be asking you some questions on this report. Are you going to read it first? 
I'm going to read it first, but I'm going to be asking you some questions. I'm going to particularly asking you, Prabhupada's going to be making two points about two different kinds of creation. And what is, are his two points? Purport. It appears from this verse that all the objects of our sense gratification are the products of egoism and ignorance. It is understood from this verse that by agitation of the element of egoism and ignorance, the first thing produced was sound, which is the subtle form of ether. It is stated also in the Vedanta Sutra that sound is the origin of all objects of material possession and that by sound one can also dissolve this material existence. Anavriti Shabdat means liberation by sound. The entire material manifestation began from sound. And sound can also end material entanglement if it has a particular potency. The particular sound capable of doing this is the transcendental vibration Hare Krishna. Our entanglement in material affairs has begun from material sound. Now we must purify that sound in spiritual understanding. There is sound in the spiritual world also. If we approach that sound, then our spiritual life begins, and the other requirements for spiritual advancement can be supplied. We have to understand very clearly that sound is the beginning of the creation of all material objects for our sense gratification. Similarly, if sound is purified, our spiritual necessities are also produced from sound. Here it is said that from sound the ether became manifested and that the air became manifested from ether. How the ethereal sky comes from sound, how the air comes from sky, and how fire comes from air will be explained later on. Sound is the cause of the sky, and sky is the cause of strotrum, the ear. The ear is the first sense for receiving knowledge. One must give oral reception to any knowledge one wants to receive, either material or spiritual. Therefore, strotrum is very important. The Vedic knowledge is called shruti. Knowledge has to be received by hearing. By hearing only can we have access to either material or spiritual enjoyment. In the material world, we manufacture many things for our material comfort simply by hearing. They're already there, but just by hearing, one can transform them. If we want to build a very high skyscraper, this does not mean that we have to create it. The materials for the skyscraper, wood, metal, earth, etc., are already there. But we make our intimate relationship with those already created material elements by hearing how to utilize them. Modern economic advancement for creation is also a product of hearing. And similarly, one can create a favorable field of spiritual activities by hearing from the right source. Arjuna was a gross materialist in the bodily conception of life and was suffering from the bodily concept very acutely. But simply by hearing, Arjuna became a spiritualized Krishna conscious person. Hearing is very important and that hearing is produced from the sky. By hearing only can we make proper use of that which already exists. The principle of hearing to properly utilize preconceived materials is applicable to spiritual paraphernalia as well. We must hear from the proper spiritual source. Tamasakcha Vikura Vikurvanad Bhagavad Viryachoditat Shabdamatram Abhutasman Nava Shrotram Tusaptagam. 
When egoism and ignorance is agitated by the sex energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the subtle element sound is manifested, and from sound come the ethereal sky and the sense of hearing. You are first class. One time I said to one of my grandchildren, you're first class, and then one of the other grandkids said, can I be second class? So what were the two items of creation to which Prabhupada refers here in this purport? Actually, more than two, but let's look. Yeah, so he's talking about, and that's the creation of what? What's being created there by sound? The material world. So he's saying the whole material universe is created by sound, and he's giving a progression that sound creates space and so forth. What's the other creation by sound? Spiritual. We just talk about spiritual. We just talk about spiritual sound creating spiritual necessities. Well, the sky is what we just said that we're talking about the creation of the cosmos. What other creation? Yes. Yes, sound transmits information that allows us to then take material or spiritual things and know how to utilize them. So in that sense, it's a kind of sub-creation, isn't it? Yes. What other creations by sounds are hearing this purport? Well, hearing, okay, hearing is created by sound, yes. But that's, again, part of the great cosmic manifestation. Yeah? Spiritual reality is manifested through sound. Spiritual reality is manifested through sound. Is another one. Yes. Senses. Senses. That has to do again with the gross material world. Yes. Although we learned yesterday, the senses are products of egoism and passion. And this is about egoism and ignorance. There's another creation that happens by sound. Yes. He has to hear how to do it. Yes, so that's that secondary creation, or third, perhaps, tertiary creation, where we're taking objects, either spiritual or material, and knowing what to do with them. There's another creation, he says to you, that happens by sound. It's in the first paragraph. We get knowledge by sound, which enables us to manifest things, but there's another creation that happens by sound. It's in the first paragraph. Yes, that's about how that everything that's created by sound can be untangled by sound. What is it that's created by sound that can be untangled by sound? We have the material universe and one other thing. You're very close. All of the objects of material possession. That's about the material world again. So that's all still we're still on the big cosmic one. There's another one. Yes. You're close. You're, 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 you're like, you're now within a millimeter. millimeter. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're like, you're right there. Just get the bigger picture. You're looking at, de- you two are getting details. Now you're getting details. Give me the, the little bit, expand a little bit. Yeah. It's right there in the purport. Just see if you can find the sentence. Well, she's gone to this class ten times. That's why she knows that. That's not fair. Yes, can you find that sentence? 
Can everybody find that sentence in the purport? If you have a book or a phone. Sorry to be favoring those with technology here. Yes. Yes, could you read it? Oh, yeah, you're talking about the big one again. You're going back to the cosmos and the universe again. I want the other one. There you go. Read it clearly, loudly. No, 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 come on. With some, so somebody can understand what you're reading. Come on. He wants you to read it, okay. Our entanglement in material... Yeah, wait, with some expression. Our entanglement in material affairs has begun for material sound. What's the most important word there in that sentence, which he did not emphasize? Entanglement. No. The most important word. Uh uh-uh. uh. We're differentiating this from the cosmic creation. Our. Thank you. Well, you remember it this way. That's why we do this and torture you all and embarrass you all. So there's the big cosmic manifestation that's begun from sound. What other manifestation has begun from sound? Ours. That's O-U-R, not H-O-U-R, or A-R-E. Ours. Our entanglement. That's personal. So Srila Prabhupada's talking about the whole big cosmos. Space, gases, radiant energy, liquids, solids, which include all the objects of our sense gratification. Yes, all the objects of our sense gratification are either space, gases, Radiant energy, liquids, or solids. Correct? Yes? That was creation of egoism and passion. Well, here we're talking about the, the gross senses. Our gross senses interact with space. By the way, we do enjoy space. Don't we enjoy space? We talk about that figuratively, like I like my space, but don't we also enjoy having physical space? Yes? Anybody like going on an Indian train at rush hour? Is that fun? No. So, been there, seen that, done that. So, we, we like space. We also like space in, uh, in words. If you have no space in language, you can't understand anything. Isn't that a fact? Right? When my, one of my granddaughters was three, she wanted to see what was underneath the keys on the keyboard. That kind of a kid. Anyway, so when my son put it back together, my daughter-in-law's space bar didn't work. And so she's typing without space. And it was very difficult to understand. So we enjoy space between words. We enjoy space in music, Yes? We enjoy having space on our shelf to put something. We enjoy the wide... I mean, one of the reasons people love Colorado is the space. Wide open spaces. Correct? So these are all objects of our enjoyment. Space, matter in a gaseous form like pure air. Yes, matter in a liquid form, radiant energy, sunlight, and solids. So all of that is created by sound and our entanglement is also created. 
And because both of these are created by sound, they can also be what by sound? Destroyed by sound. Now, when our entanglement and the material world is destroyed by sound, do we have nothing? Do we end up with nothing? What do we end up with? What is Prabhupada saying here? What would we end up with? Spiritual energy, yes. Right? We're not um, voidous. So we don't say that when you undo the material creation by sound, then there's nothing. Let's say when you undo the material creation by sound, sound that has the proper potency, then you end up with a spiritual reality. All right. So how does sound create? Let's look first at the big cosmos. How does sound create the big cosmos? So we're saying sound creates space, which creates touch, which creates air, which creates form, which creates radiant energy, which creates taste, which creates water, which creates smell, which creates solids. And everything in this world is making a sound. Sri Prabhupada said that the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. He says that in the chapter of Nasthila, the Krishna book. And the scientists tell us that even this solid matter, the final form of sound, Yes, everybody's following that? The final form of sound is solid matter. But how solid is this? Is it actually completely solid? It's not very solid at all, right? The scientists tell us that this table is mostly what? It's mostly space. It's mostly space. And it's made up of what? This wood is made up of molecules, which are made up of atoms. And in the atoms, what's in the atoms? Particles, and what are they doing? Moving. They're moving. So when things are moving, they're creating what? Vibration. Vibration, which means sound. That means this table is making a sound. This table is the solidified form of sound, but it's still making a sound. And that, that sound is some singing of the Lord. So everything in this world is coming from sound. Now, in the purport to 3.12.47, Prabhupada talks about all the vowels and consonants of Sanskrit. So if you study Sanskrit, you'll study etc. And Srila Prabhupada says that all these sounds are originally Sabda Brahman. And it is said, therefore, that Brahma was created in the Mahakalpa as the incarnation of spiritual sound. That's in the purport to 3.12.47. So we're going to look at a, another way of understanding about the creation happening through sound. We talked about the big, 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 big creation. Now we're going to talk about the secondary creation of Brahma. So you know, after all the elements are created, in each universe there's Lord Brahma, and Lord Brahma manifests the particular planets and trees and insects and birds and human beings and everything, yeah? Right, so he's taking all these big elements, space and gases and liquids and solids, and he's making them into stuff. So how does that happen? So to find this out, now you may think I'm, I'm you may wonder where I'm taking you. By the way, where I'm taking you is to your Java and your Kirtan. That's where I'm taking all of us. I'm taking all of us to Java and Kirtan. That's our final destination here. So, just in case you wonder, where in the world is she going? So, if you go to the 11th canto, uh, 11, 12, 17, 
So Uddhava has just asked Krishna to explain all these different processes of spiritual enlightenment. Krishna has explained lots and lots and lots of processes. And then Uddhava says, I don't know what to do. You've explained so many different ways. I don't know what to do. What should I do? And Krishna answers. I'm going to read just part of the verse. The Supreme Lord gives life to every living being and is situated within the heart along with the life air and primal sound vibration. The Supreme Lord also assumes a gross form as the various sounds of the Vedas composed of short and long vowels and consonants of different intonations. So if I was talking to God and God is telling me how to find enlightenment and he told me all different processes and I say, what should I do? And he gave me this answer. Would, would I feel it was an answer? What should I do? And he says, the Supreme Lord gives life to every living being and is situated within the heart along with the life, air, and primal sound vibration. The Supreme Lord also assumes a gross form as the various sounds of the Vedas composed of short and long vowels and consonants of different intonations. How is that an answer to the question? And in the purport, the BBT purport, it's mentioned that the Lord is situated within the chakras within the body of Lord Brahma. Now, if we go to Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's purport on 11, 12, 17, he says that the way the Lord manifests the details of the universe after he manifests the gross elements is that he enters into the chakras of Lord Brahma. And I'm going to be introducing some new terms, and for reference to these new terms, you can look at the handout to which I referred you online. So this can be your... So you can, it, it's going to be a little bit hard to follow some of these terms without, without some reference. And if you don't have a phone, maybe you can share with someone who does. And you can also get this for reference later on. So to understand this, first of all, we have to have some understanding of the chakras. So does anyone know what the, what the base chakra is called? The mula chakra. Yes. And after that? Swadhisthana. After that? Manipur, after that? Anahata, after that? Vishuddha, after that? Agya, and after that? Sahasra. Okay, so the Lord enters into the mula, the base. That's all the way like where our tailbone is, where we sit. And this mula chakra is what connects us subtly to, to the solids of creation. It's, it's very earth-bound. It has to deal with our system, with the gross systems in the body of illumination. So the Lord enters into this mula chakra of Lord Brahma as a sound called paravak. Does anyone know what para means? Other or greater. Yes. If, if you can't remember this, you can think of the French word paramour, which basically means some illicit lover some adulterous lover, someone other than your spouse. So the word para means other. So in Sanskrit it means other and it can also mean higher. It's, it's used to sometimes mean transcendental. So this, the Lord enters into this mula chakra of Lord Brahma as transcendent sound. Sound that's not material, sound that's not part of this world. Then he moves up. There's no indication of what he's doing in the Swadhisthana chakra, but he moves up to the Manipur chakra, which is right around here. And in the Manipur chakra, he manifests as Pasyantivak. 
So does anyone know what pasyanti means? To see. Yes, it means to see. So this is the voice of vision. And this pasyanti vak corresponds to the seat of the intelligence, which we talked about yesterday and the day before. And this pasyanti vak is the role of the intelligence. It's the voice of the material intelligence. So we have paravak as the spiritual voice, then pasyanti vak as the voice of buddhi or intelligence. Then the Lord goes up through the chakras of Lord Brahma, through the Anahata, to the Vishuddha, which is here in the throat. And there he manifests as what's called Majjimava. What does Majjima mean? Middle. And this is considered to be the voice of the mind. Then the Lord comes out of the mouth of Lord Brahma in the form of Vaikarivak. Vaikarivak is the sounds of the Vedas, the audible sounds. And in the Vishnu Purana 1564, it stated, with these sounds, Brahma then creates the cosmos. By reciting the words of the Vedas in the beginning, Lord Brahma created the names and forms of the material elements, the rituals, the devas, and all other living entities. So after the Lord through sound, by the way, what was that first sound that the Lord made that created space and everything? So after that first sound, expanding to all different forms of matter, from subtle to gross, then in each universe, Lord Brahma is manifested, the, the engineer, the creator, and the Lord enters this body of Lord Brahma, which as Prabhupada says is, is the manifestation of spiritual sound. Lord Brahma's body is the manifestation of spiritual sound. That was from purport from 3.12.47. And the Lord enters the Mula Chakra of Lord Brahma, as paravak, transcendental sound, going up to the Manipur chakra as the sound of the intelligence, pasyanti vak, vak means sound, up to the throat, the basuddha chakra, as majjima vak, or the sound of the mind, then out of Lord Brahma's mouth as vaikari vak, and from that Lord Brahma creates all the details and the specifics. You can think about the first creation, it's like if, you know, you go into a kitchen and there's flour, and there's sugar, and there's butter, and there's spinach, and there's, you know, it's all, and there's an oven, and there's a stove, and there's oxygen, and there's space, and there's water, and then you make things out of it. Yeah? And how do you make things? You read a recipe, you hear a recipe. So first of all, the ingredients, and then the Lord is coming up through Lord Brahma as it sounds, and creating the recipe by which he manifests all the details of the world. So that's in very great summary, very encapsulated, a description of how sound manifests the big cosmos. Oh, but what was the other thing that sound manifested? What was the key word? Our. Our. Our entanglement. So that's on this, this big, gigantic scale. But each of us are like a little Lord Brahma. And we have a little universe of our own body. Our entanglement in this world comes from sound. And it happens very similarly. So first, we're existing as a pure soul. With paravak, we have a spiritual transcendent voice. And with that voice, we are able to say, I want to be the center. 
And we, the soul, we have great power, just like God, with His power, can create millions and millions and millions of universes. And so many varieties of trees and plants and fruits and people. We, the soul, are a little part of God. And we also have many of the qualities of God to a small degree. Yes? Yes, Rupa Goswami delineates 64 qualities out of Krishna's unlimited qualities. And 50 of them, he says, are also present in each of us. So we also have power in our sound. And when we use that power to say, I want to be the center of the universe, I want to be the enjoyer, I want to try to be God myself, that the power of that sound then manifests our material entanglement. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to be the center? We can't actually be the center of everything. That's not possible. But we can create with our sound an illusion of being the center. And that illusion is created first by intelligence. It's just like if you think about in this life, if you say, uh, I want to be very famous. And then you get a vision of how you want to be famous. I want to be famous by a new scientific discovery, or I want to be famous by being a rock star, or I want to be famous by climbing Mount Everest and staying up there for a year. Whatever, you know, we have some idea of how we want to be famous. So that's the vision of the intelligence. Like, if you're going to start a business or a project, what's the first thing you need? Vision. Vision. Some people say money. It's like money without a vision is completely useless. Correct? So a vision. Something, it has a little bit more specificity to it. This is how I want to be famous. This is how I want to be rich. This is how I want to be happy. Some vision. And that's a voice. It's a voice of the intelligence. Now, intelligence is not alive. The spirit has intelligence. But this intelligence is a machine created by egoism and passion that supplies us with a vision. It's like there's, there's millions of visions and we go, oh, I want that one. It's something like that. You follow? Like if you went to a cinemaplex with like, you know, 8,400,000 different movies playing, and you're like, oh, I want that one. So we identify with the intelligence, but it's not ours. We have our own intelligence, but that's another thing. So then there's that voice of the intelligence, that vision of how we want to enjoy. But that's not enough. Then we need the mind. So that's the majimavat, the voice of the mind. And at least for me, my mental voice is like audible speech. The way I think is I hear my own voice talking in my mind as if I were speaking to myself but not audible to others. And I've since, I used to assume that everybody thought like that, but I've since learned that that's not the case. You all remember my friend Rukmini who came with me last time, used to be here in Denver. So she told me until her 30s she taught in, she thought in print. She said like someone was typing and she was reading it. She said after her 30s she started thinking like she was hearing her own voice, but she says she hears two tracks at the same time. And one of my granddaughters-in-law told me she thinks in pictures and emotions. So I've decided that 
my concept that the way I think is the way everybody thinks is erroneous. But anyway, there's some sort of mental voice, however it comes out, whether it's coming out like you're hearing your own voice or whether it's coming out like you're seeing a book being written or in pictures. It's some mental voice. That's, for most of us, probably gibbering in English, but for some people it's gibbering in Spanish or Russian or Hindi or something like that. And this, in the mind, is the accepting and rejecting if things go well, based on the intelligence. So the intelligence has a vision, and then the mind accepts or rejects according to that vision. So if the soul is saying, I want to be the center, and the, the pasyantivak, the intelligence, is going, I'm going to be the center by being a rock star. And then the mind says, what should I do? Sleep another hour or practice guitar? Oh, I want to be a rock star, I should practice guitar. So the mind accepts and rejects if things are going well. If things are going well. The mind accepts and rejects according to the intelligence. And the mind is going, get out of bed and pick up your guitar. And then it comes out in action, which starts with gross speech. I need to practice my guitar. And we start making gross sounds. Okay. Everybody follow how we become entangled? Yes? Clear? Okay, now we're going to look at the purport to 423.16, where Prabhupada says, the words yutasthanam vivagushaha indicate that one should know the process of creation and should meditate upon the creative process inversely and thus become free from material contamination. What did Prabhupada say that we should do? Yeah? We should meditate on the creative process inversely. Inversely. Okay. Now, you remember in today's purport, Prabhupada talked about how sound can undo, sound can do and also undo. Right? And he was talking about if it has a potency, if it's a spiritual sound, such as the Hare Krishna mantra. And in 423.16, he's giving us the key. You do it inversely. Now, my parents were one of the early adopters of a GPS system. So they got a GPS system when, like, nobody had a GPS system. I think their GPS cost them, like, over $2,000. Imagine that. And they were really proud of it. They called it Rosie. It was voice-activated. You know, and you could say, Rosie, take me to Walmart, plot out. Then after you did your shopping, you said to it, Rosie, home. And it would plot the reverse directions. Right? So we all know how to do that on our GPS. You just switch the arrows, right? And it reverses. When you turned right, now you're turning left. Yes? Correct? Everybody familiar? Okay. So now we know how we got entangled. Now, Rosie, home. Okay? So, where are we when we're materially entangled? We're on the level of Vaikarivak. We're on the level of speaking gross material sounds to manifest our plans for enjoying the world. To manifest the objects of our sense gratification. As Srila Prabhupada says here, if we want to build a skyscraper... Prabhupada was, very, was, was definitely very interested in the Western skyscrapers. 
There weren't any in India where he had come from. So something that, and he came to New York. He came to Boston and then to New York. So he was, as all visitors to New York are, wow, those skyscrapers. So he can understand. It was something he referred to quite a lot. So if we want to manifest a skyscraper or a car or whatever, right, we, we do that through sound. So that's the level at which we're on as a materialist. So we have to start from that level. This is a very important point. Whenever you want to get from point A to point B, you need to know where you are at point A, correct? Like if you, if you go on your phone or a computer and you look for directions to someplace, it also asks you from where. You have to know where you are. So generally speaking, with some exceptions, anyone who takes to the spiritual path is starting from being grossly materialistic. Almost always. Just figure that that's the case for almost everyone. Some exceptions. So that means we're on the Vaikari Bhak platform. So then we're going to take spiritual sound. We're going to take the sound that manifests, as Prabhupada talks about here, the spiritual necessities. We have material sound that manifests our material necessities. Both as God is manifesting them, as Lord Brahma is manifesting them, and as, as we, little Lord Brahmas, are manifesting them. But now I want to manifest spiritual reality and spiritual necessities. Is everybody following this logic? So I'm going to use Vaikarivag because that's where I am right now. If I'm starting my spiritual journey. And I'm going to have spiritual sounds come out of my mouth as Vaikarivag. So with my mouth, I'm going to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Now, the problem is that when I'm making those sounds with my mouth, what's going on with the Majjumavak in the mind? What sounds is it making? Other sounds. You have to do this today. What about that? And you didn't do that. And this person said that. You think that's going to be a problem for you later on? And this person didn't do that. Is that going to be a problem? And you forgot that. Is that going to be a problem? Is that going to be a problem tomorrow? What about this? And you don't have enough money for that. What are you doing? Look at that thing over there. Look at that thing over there. What about that over there? Did you want that? Oh my God, I remember that thing you did last week. That was a horrible thing. Maybe someone's going to find out about it. You're going to get in all kinds of trouble. Yes? Yes. It's not just my mind that does that, right? So mostly our minds are like monkeys in Vrindavan, if you've ever been to Vrindavan. How many of you have been to Vrindavan in India? So you know what the monkeys are like, right? I made a big mistake. I have a place in Govardhan. I had a really big mistake. I, had, I was cooking, and I didn't have enough water in the pot, and I took a nap. Don't do that, you know? And I woke up, and all the beans were burned, and oh, it was just my whole house. It was a stink that woke me up. Anyway, so I'm scraping out the bottom of this pot, and I dumped it on the grass right outside my place. Bad move. Really bad move. I should have dumped it much further. Anyway, the monkeys discovered that there were all these wonderful beans on the grass outside my house, and so they changed their commute route. Because every, every morning they, go, they commute, and every evening they, they commute. They have a commute route. So then they decided they were going to commute past my house, but that's also where I hang out my laundry. And the teenage monkeys, they're the most troubled, of course. So the teenage monkeys decided that they were going to practice putting on a sari with my clothes. Really, I mean, really, seriously, they were taking my clothes and wrapping them around. Admiring one another, getting their dirty monkey paws all over my clothes, which had to be washed all over again. 
So the mind is often like that, right? The mind is just kind of jumping around like a monkey. So with Vaikari Vak, we're chanting Hare Krishna and our mind is jumping around like a monkey and trying on saris from somebody's laundry. And then with the Pasyanti Vak, we're still going, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be beautiful. We still have this vision and the Paravak of the soul is still going, I want to be the center. I want to be God. Now it's expected that we start on that platform. That's expected. But what we want to do is by chanting on Vaikari Vak, we want to wake up the Majjhima Vak. Now, to know how this works, we're going to go back to the 11th canto. So, remember the 11th canto in 12.18, where Krishna answered Uddhava's question about what's the best process, and he said, go to sound. I'm in the sound in the heart. I'm the sound of the Vedas. And then he tells Uddhava how to access these sound in the Vedas in, tw- in text 18, so 11, 12, 18. He says, when sticks of kindling wood are vigorously rubbed together, heat is produced by contact with air, and a spark of fire appears. Once the fire is kindled, ghee is added, and the fire blazes. Similarly, I become manifest in the sound vibration of the Vedas. So how do you access the sound? He's telling us how to access this. And he's giving us this reversing creation here. So generally, if I want to light a fire... I use matches or a lighter. I don't generally rub wood, except when I was in the Girl Scouts. But we can have some idea that if you take wood and you rub it, yeah? Then you can do that, maybe in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. We're not camping. Right? Okay, so you rub wood. What's happening at first? Friction. Friction? What are you feeling? Heat. Not heat yet. How are you feeling? Tired. Tired. You're probably sweating, right? Exerting energy, you're not getting much effect. You're just sweating and you're tired. Maybe there's some smoke. And then finally you get heat. So when we're just chanting on the level of Vaikari Vak, it's only work. When we're chanting the Hare Krishna mantra just on the level of Vaikari Vak, when the Madhima Vak is going, and the Pasyanti Vak is going, rich, famous, and the Paravak is going, I want to be the enjoyer, all we get is effort. Like I know people who told me I stopped chanting because it was just another job I had to do every day. And I already had enough to do. So it's just a job. It's hard work. And all you get is sweat and smoke. But by chanting on Vaikari Vak, what's supposed to happen is it wakes up the Vajjima Vak. It wakes up the mind. And that's heat. That's when in the process of chanting, we feel something. What is heat? It's a, it's a sensation. You feel it. We feel, oh, what is this? Wow. This is not ordinary sound. This is something special. You feel heat. That's when the Madhumavak is also chanting. When we're not just chanting with our mouth, but we're also chanting with our mind. Now what happens after you rub and you get heat? What's the next step? A spark. So with a spark, you not only have heat, you have light. And what's the next level of sound? Which is called in Sanskrit? Pasyanti, which means to see. So when you get this spark, all of a sudden you can see. You see, oh, there's Krishna. 
there's me. You get a glimpse of your real self. You get a glimpse of God through sound. You start to see. It wakes up desire. Like Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 12.9, that by doing abhyasa yoga or repeated practice, you get icha, you get desire. Intelligence is the seat of desire. So then some real desire for Krishna awakens. Then what does Krishna say you have to do? You have to, when that spark comes, you don't just go, wow, spark. It's God. Sparks don't last very long, do they? What do you have to do with the spark? You have to put ghee on it, you have to nourish it. If you nurse that spark, it becomes a what? Blazing fire. And wakens up the paravak, wakens up the soul. And then that blazing fire, just what does fire do in wood? It, it destroys the very wood that's its own fuel. So when this blazing fire comes, it actually dissolves the material subtle body and awakens the original body of the soul. So, in order to do this, there has to be repeated practice. There has to be repeated practice over some time. And we should know that exposure to mundane sound is going to then recreate the whole problem. So if while trying to be absorbed in spiritual sound to reverse the process of creation, if we're absorbed in mundane sound, we recreate the material entanglement. Then another interesting point here is that Jeeva Goswami says in his Sandarbhas that we have to be careful to progress. Most of us start on the platform of Vaikari That's okay. That's a given. But if we intentionally stay on the platform of Vaikari which means we're basically just doing a religious ritual, you follow? Then Jiva Goswami says we're going to have some problems. This is going to have five problems. One is crookedness. We'll be deceitful. We'll be deceitful with ourselves, we'll be deceitful with others. Another is the faithlessness. Because if we're just chanting on the level of Vaikarivag, we're not getting much of an experience of Krishna consciousness. And therefore we lose faith in the process. Then attachment to things that destroy our faith. Because all of us human beings like to rationalize whatever we believe. We like like to explain how whatever we're feeling or whatever we're believing is right and true and good. You know, we were talking about this like, do I have justified anger, right? Are my emotions justified? So we do this with our beliefs as well. Generally the way we operate in this world, we feel something and then we try to explain why it's okay. And we believe something and we try to explain why it's correct. That's generally how we operate, although we like to think otherwise. So if we're only chanting on the level of Vaikarivag, our faith becomes disturbed. And then we become involved in things and attached to things that justify why it's okay not to have faith. Everybody understand? Yeah? Then we'll become slack in the process. Well, of course, we're pleasure-seeking by nature and under my biasat. If we're doing a process that's just a bunch of hard work, eventually we'll become slack. 
you know, the things that people usually become slack with is the number of rounds they chant, or the, you know, the, the amount of effort they're even making to pay attention. Or they'll, they'll be slack with what they eat. They'll start buying stuff from outside shops, or they won't really follow the codicy. Those are usually the first things that people become slack. They'll give up reading the Shastra. And the most interesting thing that happens if we intentionally stay on the level of Vaikari Bhakti is pride in devotional advancement and accomplishments. Because we're not then making actual internal advancement. But if we don't leave Krishna consciousness entirely, we want to have some way by which we can feel good about ourselves spiritually. So we look at the externals and we'll say, well, I've, you know, offered so many sticks of incense, I chanted so many rounds, I visited so many holy places, I gave so much money, or something like that. I've done so many austerities. We'll, we'll measure our achievement in externals as a substitute for looking at our own spiritual advancement, and we'll try to be satisfied with that. Okay, now I should have printed out one of these for myself, so I was negligent in that. Um, but somebody who has online the sound participants handout, if, some, if somebody has that online. So you can look at the, if you, I'm going to ask you to read this out loud because I don't have it. Or maybe, I, mean, I, I can summarize it, I know what's there. But if those of you who have it, if you can look at it, at the very bottom of that handout, I have two quotes from Shiva Prabhupada. Actually, if one of you hasn't read it, that's better. It's, it's very dramatic if you can read it. Anybody have it handy? Do you have it handy? So we just, if Microphone. Can you read it with some expression? Which one? The first longish quote at the bottom from Srila Prabhupada. This is from the lecture in Srila Bhagavatam 7, 7, 35, 37, and 75, 22, 24, San Francisco, March 19, 1967. As soon as you chant Hare Krishna, immediately you remember Krishna, Krishna's form, Krishna's fighting, Krishna is sitting on the chariot of Arjuna. If you read Krishna book always, some of his pastimes will immediately come, appear in my brain, immediately, as soon as you chant, Hey, that is required. Smaranam, automatically. Now, just stop for a minute. Prabhupada said there's smaranam. So Prabhupada's associating chanting with smaranam. And he says, that is, what was his word? Required. That is required. Okay. As soon as you chant, Hey, if you mechanically chant, thinking of something nonsense, then it will be useless. Pause. It will take time. But if there is immediate remembrance of Krishna, we are hearing about Krishna, so many things, reading about Krishna, why not remembrance? That means inattention, that means okay. deficiency. Okay, stop right there. Prabhupada was defining inattentive chanting. Many times people ask, what is inattentive chanting? How was Prabhupada defining inattentive chanting? You're, you're, you're chanting but not thinking of Krishna's pastimes and Krishna's activities. Go ahead. That means deficiency. We should immediately, as soon as we chant Hare Krishna, immediately, at least we should remember the picture that Krishna is so kind that he has become a chariot driver of his devotee Arjuna, and he is giving his instruction in Bhagavad Gita. Or Krishna is playing in the forest along with his cowboys, friends, eating very nicely on the bank of the Yamuna. And some demon came and he is killing the boys are, I mean to say, encouraging him with claps. This enjoyment is going on. What is the difficulty in remembering Krishna? What for this Krishna book is there? You read it and remember it. That will make you, keep you in Krishna consciousness. Can you again note the date? What was the year? 1967. 1967. So Srila Prabhupada is giving this instruction in 1967. 
and telling the devotees that their, their chanting is inattentive and deficient if when they're chanting, they're only chanting mechanically, they're only chanting with the mouth and not with the mind. And he's defining chanting with the mind as immediately remembering Krishna driving, the, at least the picture, he says, of Krishna driving Arjuna's chariot, Krishna's instructions in the Bhagavad Gita. What else did he say? Playing with the coward boys and... Killing a demon, and the coward boys are clapping. Right? Now, sometimes people take that Srila Prabhupada's instructions on chanting is just to hear the sound of the mantra. And I sometimes have people saying, well, you know, not supposed to think about Krishna when you're chanting, which is kind of an interesting concept if you think about it for more than a few seconds. So we're supposed to always think about Krishna except when we're chanting would be kind of interesting. So... Some people say you're not supposed to think about Krishna, you're just supposed to hear the sound. Now you will find times when Prabhupada said to people just hear the sound, but you always find it as a second layer of instruction. So can you read the next quote, which is much shorter, also from 1967? While chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, you should always feel the presence of Krishna in person. You can remember also about his talks with Arjuna. If you cannot remember Krishna in person, you should try to hear attentively the word Krishna, hey, as you go on chanting. So this is very consistent that Prabhupada would say here, as soon as you're chanting, you should feel Krishna's presence. Krishna's presence and as soon as you as soon as you feel Krishna's presence, you can remember. Hmm? The Bhagavad Gita is talks with Arjuna, which I find interesting. The Prabhupada will often say you can remember the Bhagavad Gita. And he said, if you can't do that, then just, just hear the sound. So that, that's very consistent that when Prabhupada would give instructions to just hear the sound, it would be, you should just remember Krishna, remember the deity, remember Krishna's pastimes, remember the Bhagavad Gita. If you can't do that, just hear the sound. Now there's one instance that people like to quote where this one devotee came to Prabhupada and said, when I'm chanting Hare Krishna Prabhupada, what do I do with my mind? Now, if you think how odd that question is, if I said, when I'm talking to you, what should I do with my mind? That's a very strange question, isn't it? Okay? You know, if, if I'm spending time with you and talking to you, what, what should I be thinking about? What should I do with my mind? And they're like, what? You should be thinking about me and what we're saying. So if someone asks such an absurd question, you're going to give an answer based on their level of questioning. So Prabhupada said, just chant and hear what is the question of mind. So that was a particular answer given to a particular person who asked a very interesting question that basically revealed his own level of understanding. So what I usually do at the end of this class is I usually do an experiential experience. Should we do that? You do something experiential? Are we up for that? Yeah? Okay. I mean, it's by my watch, 8.59, so if anybody wants to leave, that's fine. So generally we're saying that we, we reverse the process of creation that from Vaikari Vag we activate the Majjhima Vag, from the Majjhima Vag we activate the Prasanti Vag, from the Prasanti Vag the Paravag is activated. But in our little experience here, I'm going to do it a little differently. 
this way. Let's do it that way. Why not? So let's, we have the Hare Krishna mantra right there on the board. And I'd like us to try to chant the Hare Krishna mantra together three times. And just go ahead and chant it just with the Vaikari Vag. Go ahead and chant just with the mouth. Don't worry about what the mind and intelligence and the soul's doing. We'll just chant the Hare Krishna mantra three times, just like that. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Okay, now we're going to add the Majjhimavak. So to add the Majjhimavak, you can have your mind look at the Hare Krishna mantra, and you can have your mind just saying the mantra in your mind while we're saying it with our mouth. It can help to scream it in your mind. That can help the mind to be fixed. Another way that you can engage the Majjhimavak is just looking at the form of Radha Govinda and meditating on the, our Gorgitai, our Jagannath, and meditating on the form of the Lord on the altar while you're, we're speaking the mantra. And another way, of course, as Prabhupada mentioned, is to think about Krishna driving the chariot of Arjuna. We have so many paintings here. Yes? Everyone has access to some. Painting, there's paintings on the wall or in your mind. You can think of your particular favorite painting or a particular form of the Lord or a particular pastime. Okay? So I'd like first everybody to decide what they're going to do with their Majjhimavak. So what are you going to do with the mental voice? Make a, de- make a decision. Okay, and let's just chant the mantra together silently with the, just with the Majjhimavak one time. Okay, so whatever you want to do, if you want to have your mind screaming the mantra, you want to be looking at the deities, looking at a pastime, just let's go through the mantra once without the audible sound. Okay, everybody together. Okay, now we're going to again say the mantra three times audibly with the Majjhimavak. So we're going to have the Vaikari Vak and the Majjhimavak chanting together with however you decided to engage the mind. Okay, all together three times. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Okay, now we're going to engage the Pasyantivak. So this means accessing desire. So I'd like to, we'll first try to just engage the Pasyantivak. So if you can think of a time... Maybe it was this morning, maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was ten years ago. When you really felt you wanted to love Krishna, when you wanted to serve and love Krishna, when you felt some attraction to Krishna, you felt, yes, I really want to, I really want to be a, a loving servant to Krishna. I really want to be in a relationship of love and service. And if you can try not just to remember that, but to go back there as if you were there again, feeling that again, to revive that, that feeling. 
being there fully as if you're seeing through your own eyes, hearing through your own ears, and hold on to that feeling. Now, if you've never had that kind of feeling, then go to a time when you felt detached, when you just felt material life is just stupid and useless. It's all a waste of time. Why do I want to be engaged in material life? And that feeling of detachment. And again, don't just remember it, but be there again, fully feeling it, as if you're experiencing it through your own eyes and own ears. And hold on to that feeling. And if you never had that kind of feeling, then go to a time when you were curious. Sometimes when you were wondering, you know, what is there? Is there a God? Is there a reality? Who am I? What's going on? Why does this world exist? And again, go back to that time of strong curiosity and desire to know and hold on to it. So holding on to either a feeling of, I really want to be a servant, I really want to love Krishna, or a feeling of detachment that the material world is stupid, material life is stupid, or a feeling of curiosity. So holding that feeling, now add what you have in the Majjhimavak, the words of the mantra or the deities or some pastime, and holding both the feeling in the Pasyantivak and whatever you have in the Madhumavak, we're going to chant now with the voice three times. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare. That's what happens when you do that. Questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Anything related to today's verse? One thing you're explaining the process of the hard work part, rather than what Yeah. So in the beginning of the chanting, it really feels like a lot of effort to pay attention and keep reading the mind back, to actually be focused without, without much taste there. Maybe this seems like a silly question, but for, for, for those of us that are in that working, effort stage, it does give some hope to know that there is a point in which the taste will come. How long does it take? Well, that depends on two things. It depends on mercy of God, and it depends on us. But the mercy of God is also very dependent on us. It's not whimsical mercy. So we get the mercy of the Lord dependent on how much we actually want to go deeper in service and not just for a new titillation type of but there is some effort made in order, uh, in order to chant even on the level of Madhumavak, there has to be some effort made to do that. I mean, Srila Prabhupada is, is writing quite clearly that we study the Krishna, we study about Krishna. I mean, how are you going to think about Krishna driving Arjuna's chariot if you never look at a picture of Krishna driving Arjuna's chariot? Now, I have a whole file of different quotes for Prabhupada that suggests different ways to engage the mind while chanting. But all of them require doing some effort, and to some extent doing that effort outside of our chanting time. 
For example, he says, you're seeing the deity. Can't you remember the deity while you're chanting? So if we never see the deity, if we never see a painting, if we never read Krishna's pastimes in Krishna book, if we never read the Bhagavad Gita, we never look at the Bhagavad Gita, then how is that going to happen? So that means making some effort in our day in general to think about Krishna. And it also means making some effort when we're chanting to access that. One of my, and this is a really nice one for Pujaris, in Geneva, Switzerland, Srila Prabhupada says, chanting Hare Krishna means that you make, and you can find that on my website too under chanting with attention participants, I think. He says, chanting Hare Krishna means that you make a diamond throne in your heart. And then he said, you imagine. He says, use the words imagine. He said, chanting Hare Krishna means you imagine that you have made a diamond throne in your heart and you've seated Krishna there and you're washing him with Ganga water and Jamuna water. It was funny, I was just again reading this in the fourth canto of Prabhupada was talking about the Brahmana who meditated like that. And you're dressing him with costly ornaments and jewels. And then although Prabhupada used the word imagine, he said, but it is not false, it is real. It is, he said it two or three times in that lecture, it is not false, it is real. He said so, and this is how this is so for especially for those of those of us who are Pujaris who do beauty worship, it's actually quite easy now when chanting Hare Krishna, we're meditating on worshiping. I'm not answering that question. Yes? Can I ask a question from yesterday's class? Sure. Or the day before us? Yesterday's class. You had mentioned how that when you get to like the 50%, then there's like, it's easy. Yes, that's the stage of mischievousness. Right, so um, there's at least a conception that I've run into that, you know, one should always struggling and that the, the struggling is, is actually a good thing. That's so attractive. So, so I mean, is this just a, a false conception that the, like, if, if, you, is, if you're not struggling and you're not, you know, you're not really progressing. What, what kind of God do they want to worship? Why would you want to be, be eternally with someone who wants to constantly be struggling? Our idea of the spiritual world is it's play. You don't have to struggle to play. That's the whole idea. That's what play means. That's what it means to play rather than work. Correct? It doesn't mean you're not doing anything. It doesn't mean you're not applying some effort. But the whole concept of play in opposition to work is that it's simply enjoyable. Am I correct? I mean, if we looked it up in the dictionary, we'd probably find something like that, that's the difference. Like people will say, if you, do, if you make your money at what you love, you'll never work a day in your life because it'll be plum play. Even materialists would like their whole life to be play, isn't it? They would like their work even to be experienced as play. Yeah? I mean, people really think in the spiritual world it's all still just work. Like, what kind of a concept is that? I think these concepts come about as our, our rationalizations for why we don't surrender to Krishna. Whenever we have descriptions of Krishna that are very negative like that, you know, ultimate reality is very negative, I always take it that it's some sort of mental trick to, as to why we're not really letting go. Why, why would I want to? Just People may also say that. Yeah. 
know if I should say this or not. I was wondering if I should say these things. But people also say that because they're not advancing. It, it's kind of like this pride in devotional advancement. They're taking pride in their struggle. They're, they're taking pride in the fact that they haven't progressed past that first stage. But it's a good thing. Because we're supposed to just be struggling. So I'm, in the, I'm doing the right thing. Srila Prabhupada expected, where were those quotes from? 67. Prabhupada started the movement in 65. He got the first people following 66. He wasn't expecting them to be on some big struggling platform after just a month or two in the Hare Krishna movement. You'll consistently see that Srila Prabhupada expected us to make very rapid progress to higher stages. He would say it's gradual and we have to be patient, but he expected it to be quite rapid. That, that's, that's quite consistent. So if, if we're still just on mechanical chanting after five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, that's a problem. It's, it's not a small problem, it's actually quite a big problem. And it will lead to these things. It will lead to crookedness, faithlessness, attachment to things that destroy faith in Krishna, being slack, and looking at ourselves in our external accomplishments. I don't want to struggle eternally. Do you want to struggle eternally? I don't. I'll find another process of enlightenment. Thank you very much. Sound very attractive to me. things, it's not like that. Yeah. My, my daughter is a teacher of Bart Nacham Dance, and there was one ISKCON leader who said, well, you know, with the Bart Nacham Dance, they're just thinking about the mechanics. Well, that's true for the beginning. Beginners. You can see it. You can see when they're, they're you know, they're just thinking about, what do I put my hands and they're looking at the other dancers. Right? Did you see that, right? But the experts, they're not doing that. The mechanics are automatic. I mean, if I even think about, my, you know, just think, think about your own area of expertise. Everybody has an area of expertise? Yeah. Prabhupada said that Brahmachari should know something of everything and everything of something. So, like, I teach public speaking. When I teach public speaking, I think, okay, an introduction, and you have an area one, an area two, an area three, and then you have a conclusion, and you tell them, and you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, and you try to have your conclusion go back to the beginning, and you put in an interesting story over there, and you put in a transition over there. And I teach people the mechanics of public speaking. Do you think I'm focusing on the mechanics of public speaking when I'm speaking? No. No. That would be ridiculous. I'm aware of them on some level. It's my craft. It's not that I'm not aware of them. But it's not my focus. I'm not doing a hard struggle. Oh my God, I better not say, mm. I better have to remember to look at people. That's So if that's true materially, that whatever you, whatever craft you master, 
the mechanics fade into the background. You know, I, I remember studying and teaching, you know, adverb phrases and adjective phrases and gerunds and participles and don't have a dangling participle and make sure that your subjects and verbs match in number and, you know, and I know all those mechanics. And there was a time in school when I was struggling with that. But do we struggle with that anymore? Do you struggle to make your subjects and objects, struggle subjects and verbs match in number and case? You struggle with that? Are you even are you even consciously aware of it? You know the rules of our language have hopefully become so internalized for us that we don't even remember what that we're following them. Which is why we may think when we're adults that grammar study was useless. Like, I don't use that. Sure, we do. We use it all the time. You follow? But we're not struggling. We're not struggling to construct an English sentence. We're, we're at the point of enjoying the language. That's struggling. So if that's true materially, why wouldn't it be true with what's natural for the soul? Prabhupada compares becoming Krishna conscious like learning how to walk. So there was a time when we all struggled with learning how to walk. There was a time, you know, if you see little babies learning how to walk, they're putting all of their attention. You ever watch that, little babies learning how to walk? And they don't, they walk with their, from their hip, which is why they're called toddlers, you know, they have this kind of awkward gait. And for little kids learning how to walk, just learning, if they hold something at the same time, they'll fall down. But now we just walk, right? Because we have some disease. Yes? Thank you. I'm just thinking how um, when we went through that exercise with the mama mantra, it uh, gave us an opportunity to increase the um, feeling of play and recreation. Yes. Oh, very nice. Happens, so thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that feedback. Yeah, I'm starting to have a time issue. Anybody else have a question or comment? Yes. What if your intelligence must be really efficient with your time? And sometimes you don't see some things of devotional service as efficient with time. So, and I kind of realized that this morning, so I have a realization at the same time, maybe I'm answering my own question. We often do that when we ask questions. <laughs> and I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, maybe I'll ask and still get, you know. That, that, that works. Um, but I find myself waking up early to read and chant, but I don't see, my intelligence is like, well, in one go back to you're really just dancing in front of Krishna, what are you getting done? <laughs> Okay, this is a segue to another class. So I'm going to try to give you a very brief answer, which may not answer you, but it may at least intrigue you to investigate this further. So we all have a particular nature. We have an eternal spiritual nature. But in this life, we have a particular nature. In this life, we're, we're actors on a stage, as Shakespeare said. 
So it sounds to me like your nature is that you're a very task-oriented person. Yes? Okay. So most people are either people-oriented or task-oriented. More people are people-oriented than are task-oriented. So task-oriented people, they get their self-esteem and they get their sense of happiness by being able to accomplish tasks. So one thing that you can do is by working with your nature is you can give yourself tasks. For this 45 minutes, my job is to connect with Krishna in the name and be joyful. That's my job for this 45 minutes. That's what I'm supposed to accomplish. So that's one way you can work with your nature. Trying to work against your nature, Krishna said, is not doesn't work. He's quite clear. He says, we all have a nature. What will repression accomplish? So trying to make yourself not a task-oriented person in this life will be a failure. Please don't put your energy into that rather than into becoming Krishna conscious as you are. So you can definitely assign yourselves tasks. You can assign yourself a task that I will measure my success in this day by how much I was present at every moment with Krishna. That's my job. My job in this moment, this moment, right now, now, is to feel Krishna's presence and to connect with him. Oh, that's now my job in this moment. Oh, that's now my job in this moment. That's now my job in this moment. I I used to, without really understanding that I was doing it, but I used to have a habit every night before I went to sleep of going through a mental checklist of my tasks. Okay, 16 rounds done, three Gayatri's done reading Shiva Prabhupada's books, how much did I read Prabhupada's books? And I was always dissatisfied with that one. Even if I said I spent six hours today, that wasn't enough, i got to do more tomorrow. I love to read, obviously. So that was, I was always, every night I beat myself up on how much more I could have read Prabhupada's books, which is, by the way, a very destructive strategy. But, you know, and what did I do? Did I, whatever else I had to do that day. You know, I went down my mental checklist. Did I do my laundry or whatever, you know? Did I cook? Did I take care of the kids, whatever? And then when my godbrother, Sridhar Maharaj, was dying of uh, liver disease. So at the end of his life, I was having some communication with him when he was in Mayapur dome. And then we talked on the phone two or three times. He was saying that he didn't want to go back to God and he wanted to come back on earth to preach. And I, I said to him, well, you could... He said, but he was worried about coming back on earth to preach because he was worried he wouldn't have a good opportunity. And I was telling him that maybe he could take birth as one of my grandkids. And then he said, well, only if they agree that they'll teach me Sanskrit when I'm a, a young child and that I can take sannyas. So I said, well, sure, why not? We were joking. Anyway, so uh, around that time, I started... You know, when, when you have... When you have somebody you know and admire who's dying, it sort of refocuses you. Death is a good focuser. And I started thinking about how I was evaluating my life every evening. And I thought, maybe I should be re-evaluating, I should reassign my tasks. And I should really, what I should be asking myself every night is, how many minutes during the day were you absorbed in thoughts of Krishna? Maybe that's what I should be measuring instead of, you know, did you do this, did you do this, did you do this, did you do that? So you can, you can reframe what you consider to be a task. And then try to be very efficient at that task. 
Also be very, very uh, wary of the mode of passion. For task-oriented people, particularly, the mode of passion shows up as being fixated on the end result of the task rather than the process. Be careful of that because that will bring you to a fruitive mentality, a future-oriented fruitive mentality where you're never happy in the present and because all we ever have is the present, then you're never happy. And then even when you get the result, you immediately start thinking about the next task. So make your, make your task orientation in the present. What am I doing in the present? And then, yes, try to be very efficient in it. You don't need to become an inefficient person. That's not required. And if you're not task-oriented, none of that applies to you. You can just erase it. But whatever, you, whatever we are, we should take whatever we are and become Krishna conscious with however we are rather than trying to be something that we're not. Trying to be something that we're not is a waste of time. And more importantly, it's a waste of energy. You know, most of you are quite young and you don't understand that your energy in this life is not unlimited. Once you get to a certain age, you become acutely aware of the fact that we don't have unlimited energy in this life. But our, we don't. We have a limited amount of energy. And put our energy into being Krishna conscious with your nature rather than trying to be, to change, to look at someone else and say, well, they have an advantage with their nature. They probably do, but you have an advantage with your nature. Find the advantage of your own nature and use that for Krishna. And deal with the particular mind that you have and the particular intelligence that you have and the particular physical abilities that you have. And sometimes it can be like that where you sort of reframe things and you kind of trick your mind and intelligence. Just like my nature is to be extremely impatient. If somebody says to me, I'm going to be patient, I feel like they're telling me to drink poison. And it's just like, you're asking me to kill myself. I always want everything done the day before yesterday. It's just how wired. But I'm also very goal-oriented. So as a teacher, if, if I wasn't patient as a teacher, then it would have been really bad for all the little children because children require a tremendous amount of patience. But what I told myself is, okay, Irmila, if you want to teach participles and gems, you should be prepared to teach that concept 100,000 times in 100,000 different ways before a child will understand it. And I'm like, okay, I can do that, that's cool. You follow? Which is exactly the same thing as saying be patient. But I'm putting it in the language of my nature. Does that understand? If I say, if I say you have to be patient with you, I'm going to be patient with these kids. I'm going to be patient with these kids. Well, this is what, you want to get the job done? Yeah, I want to get the job done. What's your job? You want them to understand the difference between participles and gerunds and how to use it. That's your job. Okay, do you want to get the job done? Yes, I do. Okay, how do you get this job done? What's the formula? You have to be prepared to explain it 100,000 times in 100,000 different ways. Oh, I can do that. Sure, cool. That's fine. So when they still haven't understood it after the 10,000th time, we're, we're really early in the process here. <laughs> still got 90,000 ways to go. And if I understand it after the 12,000th time, hey, that's 
And then I'm happy and I'm happy. And everybody thinks, oh, Armin was so patient. But just the word makes me go, ah! No! You follow? Yes? I like it with anybody. And when you manage people, too, it's the same kind of thing. Put things in their, their language, their, according to their style. Yeah, like I had, a, I had a kid, very systematic student, and she always, you know, you have to do number one, then you have to do number two, then you have to do number three, then you have to do number four. So on the achievement test, you're not supposed to do it like that. You're supposed to first answer the easy questions and then go back and do the hard questions. Otherwise, you may not finish the, the test, and if there's any questions unanswered, you get points taken off of that. So what did I say to her? I said, you know, look, I know these questions are numbered, so you might think that the numbers indicate the order in which you're supposed to do them, but that, that's not what's going on here. The proper order in which you're supposed to do them is you go through, and any that you can answer easy, you do those first, and then you go through and do and that's the right order. And then she's like, okay. But if I had said to this child, you should answer the questions out of order, it would have, she would have felt anxiety. All right? Is that okay? All right. It is 9.30, so we should stop here. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. I should say one last thing. This seminar is not my seminar. This class is not my class. This, is, this class was given to you via me by Bhakti Vigyan Maharaj. So I first heard this class from him over five days in Radhadesh. It was a 15-hour class. I asked for his notes, which were uh, one-third in Russian, two-thirds in English. And I asked if I could uh, boil that down to about an hour, hour and a half class, so he gave me permission to do that. If you're interested in the topic of this class, I suggest that you go online and look up Bhakti Vigyan Swami, Liberation by Sound, or Liberation Through Sound, and that you can access the full 15 hours of the seminar, which are much, much better than what I presented you today, and go into greater depth. Thank you. Thank you.